This morning, as I said, we get to see uh, the mission of our church on display. We get to hear about who our church is, what our church does. And um, sometimes in membership class, when we have it, we get this question um, because there's a time in the membership class where we open up the, the, the circle and ask people if they have questions. And people always, uh, f- in one form or another, say, what does your church believe about this or that? What does your church believe about such and such? And uh, if I'm uh, leading the class or facilitating the class, I always, I always pause, and I do this in a playful way, and I say, what do you mean by your church? Because there are three or four ways that I hear this church or your church or new community. What does new community believe about? I said, on, on one hand, you're asking maybe about um, the proclamation, the public statements that the pastor might make about a certain matter. So what does the pastor, what does the pastoral staff say about this or that? At another level, you could, in my uh, mind, be also saying, what does your, your gathered assembly do about certain things? What, when people get together, do they as a corporate entity do, say, sing, explicate? A third way that that question comes across is um, because churches are peopled institutions, a third way of hearing that question and asking that question is by saying, and I, and I turn this to folks around the circle, around the table, I say, what do you believe about the matter? Because if it is true that you are the church, the six, the eight, the 12 people in the class, the hundreds of people who may come on a Sunday, if it is true that we as God's people are the church, then if a question comes up, what do you think as a church about? What do you do as a church about? We are asking a question of the very people who are asking the question in membership class. So, of course, there's a layer to the church's teaching. In creedal situations, they call that dogma, right? The church is teaching. We're not a creedal church where we tell you what to believe. We're a covenant church, right? So we're non-creedal, but there is that sense that the, the church's leaders, teachers, preachers say what the church is. And then there's that part on the other end where God's people really showcase, right? And usually, the beauty is when all of that is the same. When what's being preached is what's being lived. What's being taught is what's being embraced. And so hopefully, there's some connections to what we hear about this church and who we are and what you'll see this morning. I'm going to invite... Uh, you know who you are, how, and the Verdans, and Daniel, will you please come up this morning? Come on up, don't be shy. Um, I want uh, Daniel to sit there or there, and the three of you can sit here. So Daniel may have to leave, so we'll put him on the end, I don't know. Uh, I may start screaming and need you to go back to the soundboard or something. Um, Um, These folks are a part of our church's leadership uh, uh, to folks who are homeless in the city, and they lead and serve in championing ways for our church uh, in paying attention to justice broadly and to uh, care for men and women who have no homes in particular. That means a lot, but will you welcome them now that you have an idea of who they are? I'm going to ask them questions. I think they know the questions that I'm going to ask them. I have them written down. I have no idea what they're going to say. 
but it better be good. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll put the mic in the middle for now. And actually, we're going to use two mics. Is that okay? Um, so that the two of you can share. And uh, James, I'm pulling um, Kelly's mic as well, making sure that it's on. Well, it was off. I had to turn it on. Look, short seat. Come on. Um, I'm going to ask all of you to just introduce yourselves, okay, and just tell us, you know, what we can call you if we have bad things to say later on, um, what name you like to go by, and um, just do that, and how long you've been in ministry, how long you've been at the church, and how long you've been in ministry. We don't have to go in any order, but since you're holding the mics, let let your wife go first. (laughs) Good morning. My name is Amy Burden. You may call me Amy, and... I am, along with my husband, who will introduce himself, um, the directors of the Warming Center Ministry here at New Community. Um, The ministry itself was started in 2002, so, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how long I've been, I've been there, so we we weren't there that long. (laughs) Um, I think we've been there since 2009, 10? And um, going to the church just a few years longer than that. My name is David Verdon. You can call me Dave. Most people call me. Um, Yeah, and we've been directors for, I think we've been attending New Community for about six years. Um, We've been on staff um, at the Warming Center for close to four years, and we volunteered um, the, the first two years that we attended New Community. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Hao. Um, I lead uh, Friday Night Outreach, and uh, I started volunteering for Friday Night Outreach about two years ago, pretty much as soon as I started coming here at New Community. Um, and I started leading uh, Friday Night Outreach the beginning of this year. Hey, my name is Daniel Espada. You can call me Daniel. Uh, I started coming to New Community back in 2002. It's like the ancient days of New Community. And I have spent the last 10 years since 2004 as our liaison to the Logan Square Neighborhood Association, specifically on affordable housing and economic development and making sure that everyone in our neighborhood, regardless of income, has access to safe, clean, affordable housing. Hold the mic, Daniel. Um, if, if you can, and then we'll kind of keep going around, I'm going to ask you all to talk about what your ministry is and what you do in ministry. Uh, and Daniel, I asked you to start, one, because you just finished, but also because in some ways your ministry has been, I would say, broader uh, in the areas of justice, in the areas of ethics and the church acting and being a kind of public witness, right? And the more specific way we're going to talk mostly is about homeless ministry, our warming center, our outreach, and so forth. So kind of paint your broad what it is you do. I mean, you, you're kind of, you, you minister in this church in like 13 ways as it is, but what is your primary ministry as it relates to justice and kind of what you were talking about? Sure. How have you done that? Uh, I would say... Curiously and specifically, my life in ministry in Chicago came out of issues of homelessness. Because when I was at North Park University, I was a member and leader of their homelessness and hunger team, which partnered with four different social service agencies in the city. Uh, And I spent three years at Cornerstone Community Outreach in Uptown, which was a homeless shelter and transitional living space for homeless people in that neighborhood. And kind of my specific serving opportunity there led me to think more on a systematic structural level of why is it that we have policies and systems in the city that lead to poverty, that create poverty and create situations where people are homeless or are being forced out of their community. And so that is kind of what led me to the Logan Square Neighborhood Association, which is a collaboration of 50 different churches, schools, social service agencies that are partnered on these different issues. So St. Luke's Lutheran down the street, Church of the Advent, uh, Kimball Avenue Congregational Church, 
all recognize the issue of homelessness is very urgent and prevalent in our community. And so we've worked in a variety of ways to try to provide affordable housing through creation, through preservation, to try to work on economic issues that create new head of household and living wage jobs in the neighborhood, things of that nature. Does that answer the question? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Al, same question. Tell us about uh, your ministry. Sure. Um, so Friday Night Outreach is this uh, monthly event um, where we first uh, gather in the church office and we will assemble uh, care packages. Um, and after we assemble them, we will go out to the street and um, meet people um, and talk to them and pray with them. But really most of the time we're just listening to them and listening to their stories and their concerns um, and just praying with them in response. Um, at, at the same time, we would um, let them know about the various services that our church provides for them, like the Warming Center. Um, so, yeah, that's about it. Well, the Warming Center, uh, we work kind of closely with Friday Night Outreach. Um, we serve a lot of the same community, the homeless community in Logan Square, but um, we're an on-site uh, ministry, meaning that, you know, Friday Night Outreach goes out to where homeless people are, ministers to them. We invite homeless people to come into um, our facility, and we provide really basic services such as food, clothing. Uh, we give them referral letters to other organizations, and um, I mean that's the basic gist of what we do. And you were about to share a little bit of how that started, or you can fill in. And um, so the warming center, soon to be named Open Arms Ministry. <laughs> Um, actually started after the Friday night outreach started because as our church was sending out teams, you know, into the streets, you know, in the evening, meeting people, um, they were building relationships. And um, some of the individuals that were meeting on the streets during the week were coming to our church on Sundays and um, hanging around the church office during the week really just to continue that relationship and fellowship. And um, we realized that um, we needed a place where we could invite people to come regularly, where they could continue um, spending time and building those relationships and getting their basic needs met, like meals and clothing. And um, so that's how the Warming Center started. It has grown exponentially, and we've been able to offer a lot more services um, one of the ways that we do that is we partner with other organizations who uh, can provide services in, much better than we can. So we have an ongoing partnership with Heartland Alliance. Um, they do a health outreach on our site. We also have an ongoing relationship with the Center for Changing Lives, which is a social service organization in Humboldt Park. They send social workers to our site. So our guests are able to get a lot of their needs met right on our site. Um, their health needs, uh, a lot of their referrals for things like job training, sometimes even housing assistance, ESL, um, computer skills, things like that. Amy, I think you're answering this, um, and I'm going to ask you all to, to say, in some ways, to say this again in your own ways, because um, the repetition is helpful. Uh, about a year or so ago, we were talking about it as a staff that there was somebody at church who didn't know what the warming center was. It'll be open arms soon, but you know, what's the warming center? And for that ministry to be a few months younger than our entire church, right? I mean, because we started it months into the church plant, uh, it's kind of odd that somebody could come to the church and not know about the warming center. So the repetition is is fine, and it's good. And I guess my question for all of you is, what specific way our our church is is meeting a need so when you think about your ministry area what need is being met or what needs are being met and and Daniel for you in particular how might the community talk about our church meeting a need so I'm, I'm going to start with Amy and kind of go around so I'll hold on to it but Amy you and Dave talk about what specific needs particularly since the move uh, from diversity down the street what needs are being met and you've said some of that but talk a little more about specific needs 
Um, yeah, so yeah, we actually, uh, like Pastor Michael just mentioned, we moved into a new space a little over a year ago. Uh, uh, for a very long time, we were renting a storefront on Diversity, um, a really small space, and it worked well for many years, but as the ministry grew, uh, as the number of people who came increased and the rooms were just filling up, um, we were having a lot of trouble making that, that space fit, and we were able to uh, move just down the street. Um, we're renting the basement of Church of the Advent, which is the church on the next corner at Francisco and Logan. Um, and so since we moved there, it's been a huge blessing. Um, it's a much bigger space. It's a lot more responsibility, but it's been great to partner with their church, and we've been able to meet our guests' needs um, in, in some really significant ways, in better ways than we were in the past. At the old space, we didn't have a kitchen, um, and, and one of the main things our guests come for is to, just to eat. There aren't a lot of places in the community that offer uh, just a lunch. There are a lot of soup kitchens that offer dinner throughout the week, um, but if you're homeless and you need something to eat in the middle of the day, it can be really, really hard to find some place where you can have a meal and where you can get out of the cold. Um, a, lot, a lot of homeless people will just hang out um, at libraries or McDonald's or just kind of hang out in places as long as they can get away with it, uh, but eventually they need to leave those places. Um, there aren't a lot of places in Logan Square uh, where they're just welcome to hang out in the middle of the day and, and get some of their basic needs met. So that's, that's one of the main ways we minister. We're just open. We're intentionally open during the day, um, in the weekdays, in the middle of the day. Um, we offer lunch. We do provide um, a very light breakfast, a very simple breakfast. There's coffee throughout the day. Uh, once a week, we offer a clothing closet where people can get a change of clothes and a hygiene kit and just some basic things like that. Uh, we also just offer a place, a, a, lot, a lot of homeless people have gotten to know each other, um, just not just at the warming center, but in other places in the community, uh, at other soup kitchens, at shelters, other places where they receive services, and we offer them a place where they can help build those relationships with each other, as well as uh, volunteers from our church or from the community. Um, so it just gives them a place where they can have community, where they can um, um, spend time together and also get some of their basic needs met, such as food and clothing and um, just, just a place to get out of the elements during the day. Uh, we also, another thing we help people out, we give them referral letters a lot of times to get other services. You need somebody to verify that you're homeless. Um, that can be really difficult sometimes. Uh, a lot of other programs ha have very specific requirements on how you go about getting that kind of referral. We're, we're a lot more gracious about that. We just make sure that somebody's homeless, and we can write them a letter. They can get other services. They can get food stamps. Um, they can uh, get into a waiting list for a housing program, uh, things like that. Uh, we help people get state ID. They can use the warming center uh, as, as a place to receive mail. They can use it as their mailing address which is very helpful if you're applying for work, if you're, if you're just trying to get anything done in life, you have to give people an address. But if you're homeless, you naturally don't have your own address. So uh, we just offer them a place where they can have a, just a, a way to verify their address. Um, they can receive mail, we can receive important documents, and that also helps them get their state ID. Uh, they can use our phone. We have a computer that they can use to uh, work on their resume, to look for jobs, to stay in contact with friends and family, uh, and things like that. Uh, so we really just try to be just like, kind of like a central place where they can just uh, get basic services um, and receive just basic relief um, that they need for their day-to-day -day, day -day lives, their day-to-day needs. Uh, so for Friday Night Outreach, uh, we do provide a little bit of food and water, but the main need that we try to meet is uh, spiritual relief. Um, a lot of times, like I said, that we would just listen to their stories and their needs. Um, and we would have to, re to remind them that despite what society um, tells them, that they are people of value and worth. And you know, there are people who care about them and who love them, and God loves them, right? Um, so that's kind of the, um, the goal of Friday Night Outreach, is to um, make a connection with them and at the same time that um, our congregation, our, our church um, members, we um, can just relate with them and, and talk to them and get to know them better. Um, so I want to share two ways that members of New Community have actually advocated for policies that are compassionate solutions for homeless people in our community. Number one, when Alderman Cologne in the 35th Ward started having these concrete structures constructed under viaducts in Logan Square and Avondale to prevent 
people who are homeless from sleeping there, members of new community like Lucy Oliver and Jennifer Goodwin and Nate Noonan went to his ward night and called his attention to this issue and let him know that this was an unacceptable, inhumane solution to homelessness in our neighborhood and actually were able to get him to have a moratorium on constructing Mm. new structures like that in our neighborhood and actually had some of them torn down on the other side of the street. Um, About 20 of you from New Community, and a lot of people I see here today, came out to uh, rally an action for Lathrop Homes, which is a public housing development in Logan Square. A lot of you actually came to meet with those residents and then advocated for that development to be, moving forward, 100% affordable in public housing. So when you do that, you are making sure that there is going to be clean, stable, affordable housing for people who are trying to exit homelessness in our neighborhood. And moving forward, the most exciting thing you can do, I think, and we can probably talk about this more later, is helping to save and transform the Milkshire Hotel, which was a failing SRO, single-room occupancy hotel, right in Logan Square on Milwaukee Avenue, into new, well-managed, supportive housing for homeless neighbors in our neighborhood. I, I think, um, thank, thank you for answering that and for um, talking about specific ways that needs are being met, that ministry is being done. And this is certainly one of the prepared questions, and I, I guess the question is why it is you all do your ministry the way you do it. In our church, um, we find out that people are living their ministries, and so folks are working at jobs that are properly called ministries. And that can be in a classroom, that can be uh, on the street, that can be uh, in one-on-one relationships. People are working to do ministry. People are, like, like some of you, working at a job and also adding on to because you live in a certain place, you know, trying to live into a neighborhood and trying to transform a neighborhood because that's where you live. And so there are folks in our church who are ministering that way. There are folks who are in our church and they're doing stuff with most of their time only so that they can do ministry with their spare time. And so in this room, there are people doing ministry in a lot of ways. And, and there are probably a lot of reasons for the for people doing the ministry that they do, right? So why do you do your ministry? Why do you do what you're telling us about? What's your personal reason? Or what's your call? What's your conviction? Can you share? I mean, that's intimate. I think it's, it's, it's personal. Um, and so don't say more than you feel like you can, because if there's something between you and God that needs to stay between you and God, keep it. But what can you share with us about why you do what you do, why you live the way you live? Daniel, why don't you start? Um, I would say two things. Number one, that I love the kingdom of God, and I look forward to the world that we will be able to inhabit in heaven, um, a world that is fully just and compassionate and merciful. And so we cannot fully create that world here on earth, but we can create a foretaste of that world for the world outside the church to see and look forward to and know who we are as Christians when we take these little places, these little injustices, and we reclaim them for God. Um, I think on a personal level, it's when I talk to families who come to LSNA, who come to these housing and land use meetings that we do, who've Their buildings have just been purchased by new developers. They get these 30-day eviction notices. This happened on Wednesday night. A lady who said, on March 1st, I'm going to be homeless because I know that I've lost these sources of income. I'm not going to have a place to live. What can you do to me? And there's a lady two seats down from her, from Center for Changing Lives, who then meets with her after the meeting and can help her find solutions in the neighborhood. 
um, but to be able to touch lives and then create policies and solutions out in the world that give this foretaste of what God wants to see in the world is like a powerful, beautiful thing to be a part of. Uh, so for me, um, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, um, so I didn't know that I was supposed to come to church on Sundays um, or um, any kind of Christian tradition. Um, but when I started college, freshman year, uh, I joined university, and um, I went to a missions trip in St. Louis. And uh, it, was, it was there that um, I decided to follow Jesus, and that's, and, and it was during um, listening to this elderly woman um, in her home um, in, the, in the projects, and, you know, just thinking back and reflecting on why I, I do, like, this ministry, I think it, it all started from there, right? It's, you know, I, I came to know Jesus um, in that place, um, so I guess my heart has just always like, been there. Um, yeah. Um, for me, I mean, there's definitely a few reasons, and, and some of those reasons have changed over the years. Uh, uh, but one big thing is just uh, when, like, when I when I read scripture and, and just like my whole Christian experience, my church experience, my my understanding of Christ. Um, I, I always the one thing that always sticks out to me is what Christ did for people who were poor, who were in need. Um, that's, that's always just stuck out to me. And um, just uh, scriptures where it says things like, you know, he looked at somebody who was suffering and had compassion on them um, and those kinds of things. That always, that, that's something that's always on my mind that um, really, um, I don't know, to me, it's a really important part of who Christ is. It's not all he did. Um, it's not all he is. Um, but for me, I definitely feel like I, I understand Christ um, and who, who he is and what, what he has done more when I'm, when I'm spending time with people who are poor, people who don't have the basic things that a lot of us take for granted. Um, when I spend time loving them and being with them and um, trying to understand their situations and who they are and getting to know them beyond just the fact that they're homeless, just the fact that they, they don't have a closet full of clothes or, or all those kinds of things, but just getting to know them as people, as individuals. Um, and, and that brings me, you know, to the, another reason why I do it. Uh, over the years, I've, uh, there's some homeless people that I have gotten to know uh, very well over the years that I've, I've continued to talk to for several years, and I, I'm getting to know them better. And some of them, their lives have improved um, in the sense of being homeless. Some of them have gotten apartments or have improved their situation. Some people are kind of in the same situation as, as when I originally met them, but um, I've gotten to know them better either way. And, uh, you know, there's some people I, I've gotten, I've realized that they have, they have wives or ex-wives, they have families, they have children, they'll, they'll show me pictures of their kids, they have kids that are grown up, um, and especially now that, you know, we, we have a child, um, uh, like, it, that really helps me understand uh, I feel like I can connect with a lot more of our guests now, and I realize that there's there's a lot more to them than just being homeless. That that uh, there are people that they matter, um, regardless of where they live, where they sleep, um, what kind of clothes they wear, uh, where their meals come from. They're still people. They matter. They matter to Christ. They matter to God. They should matter to me. And uh, the last reason is I I actually grew up in Chicago. Uh, I was I was born and raised in Chicago. I. Um, spent the first few years of my life actually just down the street from here in Logan Square near uh, Fullerton and Kedzie. That's where my parents were living where, when they had me, and then I grew up uh, not just a few minutes away from Logan Square in Hermosa, like near Fullerton and Pulaski. So I've always been in this area. Um, so this community means a lot to me. This, this neighborhood means a lot to me. This city is very important to me, and um, it's definitely, uh, even though it's difficult sometimes to see um, homeless people every day and see the struggles and see the things that they deal with, um, I think it's a privilege to kind of be a part of that aspect of this city. I think it's something that a lot of people walk past all the time. Um, uh, they don't see the complexity of it. They're not really immersed in it. Uh, I think it's, it's definitely a special situation that I'm in. Uh, that's a privilege that God has given me, and I don't take that for granted. Uh, there, there are people that I've, I've 
seen since I was a little kid that I, I, I see at the warming center now. They, they don't know that I've seen them since I was a little kid, um, but I recognize them. You know, I, I recognize them from, from just living in this neighborhood for so long. Um, and, and as a child, as a teenager, um, even when I was in Bible college, I would have never imagined that I would be ministering to the same people that I used to walk past every day as a, as a kid, as a teenager. So uh, that, that's really powerful. And, um, and I, I've, yeah, it's just it's relationships, uh, relationships with people, and um, just uh, my understanding of Christ. Um, and just, uh, it definitely makes me feel closer to Christ um, when, when I'm involved in that kind of ministry. Um, I didn't grow up in Chicago. I grew up in California in a community that also had homelessness, but it wasn't as visible because it was more of a rural, sprawled community. Um, so when I came to Chicago um, as an 18-year-old and I saw homelessness all the time, it's, it's hard to miss, I think, here. Um, it overwhelmed me tremendously. I recognized it as a big structural problem that didn't have an easy answer. Um, but I didn't know what to do. I really, really struggled with what the Christian response was. Um, I couldn't think of anything beyond should I give people the change in my pocket or not? How often can I really do that before I run out of money? Um, it was so overwhelming. I just, at some point, just shut the door on it and figured I, someone else is going to have to deal with this. I'm just going to do my own thing. Um, and I do feel like um, God had a calling for me specifically to not shut the door on the problem of homelessness. And I, I feel like God kind of tracked me down and made me rethink um, my commitment. And uh, the main way that God did that to me was bringing specific people into my life who were experiencing homelessness um, for me, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to respond when I can see a particular face and know a particular person and understand their particular story. Um, and though the home, the problem of homelessness is a big structural problem, um, there are individuals experiencing homelessness who are very close. They're you know, down the block or next door. And um, sometimes something as simple as getting to know someone's name, um, listening to their story, spending 15 minutes with them, um, you are helping the problem, especially to that par one particular person. Um, one thing we hear often when we're at the warming center, um, feedback that we get from our guests very often is, wow, nobody's ever just listened to me. <laughs> or I've been, maybe they've had some issue they've been working on for a long time, like they've been trying to get um, a link card, which is food stamp benefits, or they've been trying to get on a wait list for housing or something like that. Um, and they'll say, wow, I've never had somebody just sit down with me and walk me through that in the way you did. And they're very grateful. Um, they don't really encounter a lot of compassion when they just go to a, a Department of Human Service building and wait in line all day. Um, so I, I do what I do because I've met specific people and my, I, I feel like, uh, like my husband was saying, like Dave was saying, I do understand um, my relationship with God and my faith response to what God has done to me by showing me compassion, um, to be, to show compassion to others, um, especially people who are marginalized by society, um, the downtrodden, the ignored, the rejected, um, and over the years as I've been involved in ministering to um, the people who come to the warming center, I have also profoundly learned that um, that I wasn't as compassionate as I thought I was, <laughs> and that I, I have a lot to learn also. I have a lot of judgment I you know that needs to be addressed. I, I have a lot of selfishness. I have you know I'm, a, a lot of blessings that I haven't been grateful for. 
And so I think that just being committed to this type of ministry has really profoundly helped me in my relationship with God and um, the ways that I need to grow as a person. I um, appreciate your reasons. Um, and one of the one of the reactions I'm having to what I'm hearing you all talk about in terms of your personal reasons and personal relationships, people and individuals, is the memory of a of a of a friend when I was ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, when I was 10, 11, 12, I would have said a drunk bum at 10, 11, 12. And uh, a man named Lawrence, um, we lived down the street from the church. And so people would walk past our house often to go to church and would come to our house after church and this, that, and the other. And, um, Lor and, and we had a kind of ministry that was that uh, was similar to open arms um, where there was counseling, there were tutoring services, there were ministry to homeless, there was food pantries and education programs, outreach programs, counseling programs through the, the church. And um, Lawrence is one of the men who participated in our church's ministry. And again, as a 10 year old, you know, when I first met him, I did not know that a drunk, homeless man who was chronically ill with half a dozen health problems would turn into one of the people God would use to disciple me. Um, and so I would hang out with Lawrence, and we would walk from my house to the church. We would spend time together. We would see each other on the street. Um, and, you know, I'm one or two days older than some of the people in our church, and this was the time we could do this on 103rd Street, walk in the neighborhood and hang out with people from the neighborhood. And Lawrence, again, as an 11-year-old, was a drunk man, and, and he walked with me, showing me um, Christ, until I knew him as a creator. Like, he was not a drunk. He was an artist. And Lawrence, last year of his life, uh, we came back from some trip, and Lawrence was painting a mural in the church. And, you know, so we would sit and watch him paint. And he did this for a week or two, and he would sort of touch it up here, and he would sort of envision here. And he was a humble man. He was a quiet man. And he was a man who God was obviously working in and in the obvious areas of substance abuse and his, his war with that and his, his pain and his anguish with um, all of his maladies and all of his infirmities and not just the drinking but all of it. I mean the cancer that eventually took him and he and to sit and to watch him make beauty is 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 such a formative thing for me. It's such a parameter for me as as, and, and even and, and you have made me think of him. You have made me remember him, because um, my inclination is to go to the people who really count when I think about my mentors, the people who I can talk to you about and you can be impressed by. When I can call them my teachers, you know, people with letters behind their names who I had to pay, you know, a whole lot. But you, you've, you've helped me remember that as a kid, as a child, one of the most formative people um, my life is Lawrence, who's, who, who's a man whose last name I don't know. Um, 
but who I would see every other day. And he would greet me by name, and we would sit, and we would sit on the porch, and we would sit outside, and we would talk, and God was at work. And I guess the question is, do, do you have a Lawrence or a person who uh, you, you, we, we can trade in a way, but is there, is there a person, and you've, you've led into this, you've said individual people, you've said you've, you've not... You've not painted a broad brush. You've not said homelessness. You've said there are people impacted by this. Is there a person or two who we may not know, whose name we may not know, who you come to, who you remember, who you're recalling now, uh, who you just want to lift up as an exemplar, as a model, as a person who God has used to make you? Can you name them? Can you tell us anything about them? Um, okay, so, so this person, um, she, so I met her um, underneath the Belmont and Ketsi underpass. Uh, her name is Teresa, and um, I met her about like a year, a year and a half ago. And every time I see her, she is just always full of joy, and um, she loved reading. She loves reading. I haven't seen her. For, for a long time, so I don't know where she is. Um, but uh, a couple of Northwestern students and I met her through Friday Night Outreach, and one of the Northwestern students um, wanted to interview her for a documentary. Um, and she agreed, so... Um, we drove her up to Evanston, and we set up this shoot location uh, in one of the kind of the shared areas or lobby um, in a uh, apartment complex. And uh, as we were shooting, and um, and she was telling her story, where she's from, what she wanted to be, how she wanted to be a writer, um, and there was another student that's like not like involved at all. She was just like in the same room, um, just studying, just quietly studying, right? Um, and after, after we're done with the shoot, uh, I, I thank the student just for being so gracious, um, for like sharing the room with us because we didn't reserve it or anything. We just kind of took over that space. And, and she, was, she was so like, interested in Teresa. Um, she was asking me about, like, oh, where is she living? Like, how did you meet her? Um, and I think her fascination was, wasn't just about Teresa, but was about, um, you know, how did someone with so much desire and, and, um, and hopes and so much personality end up being homeless. And, you know, I think that impacted her a lot, um, just through Teresa's stories. But also um, impact, impacted me, because, you know, at, until that point, I didn't really think about it that much. Um, I think, you know, society or media kind of portrays homelessness and people who are homeless as being, you know, who are just kind of given up on life or... Um, who, um, I don't know, just like hopeless maybe. Um, and that's just not the case. And I think, um, and that's just one story about Teresa, right? It's just, just her personality and who she is just kind of gave off this energy and like, we transformed people's views. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of just one. Um, I would share about my friend Paulina Lerner. So, before my current job, I worked as a community organizer with a group called Jane Addams Senior Caucus, where I would work with seniors who lived in low-income housing to preserve the housing that they live in and fight for their quality of life. So, like, folks who actually had the blessing of not being homeless in their later years. Paulina was extraordinary because she came to the United States in her late 60s from Russia as someone escaping anti-Semitism and communism during that 
perestroika period that happened before most of us were born. Um, but to see someone discover their leadership in their 70s, to discover new parts of themselves, and then to share that leadership and teach in other buildings where people were uncertain of how their lives were going to go. She would come and she would be a mentor to other seniors and help them understand, be a role model to them of how to be a leader in their own community. She was so awesome, like, and did not know this about herself until, like, we would, like, challenge her to step up and she goes into the room and then becomes, like, a teacher and mentor in front of our eyes. Just one of the most remarkable women I've met and, like, changed my perception of, like, what a senior citizen can be and what the later years of your life can turn into. Um, I guess I, I'm, you know, trying to think of a specific person because I know so many, um, and the question... Go where you need to. (laughs) Well, one thing I keep thinking and reminding myself is um, a person who's homeless is is not necessarily a specific type of person. Homelessness is not a type of person. Homelessness is a situation a person finds themselves in. Um, So people who are experiencing homelessness are just a wide variety of individuals. And, um, and really anybody could experience homelessness. And um, I, do, I do know stories of individuals who I first learned they were homeless, and then after getting to know them, they, uh, I came to realize, oh, they are a normal, extraordinary person. Um, and then there are also people who I knew first as ex- as people before I realized they were homeless. And uh, I'm thinking of a particular person who um, used to go to this church, um, but is, is now moved to a different state. And his name is Flacco, and I'm sh- only sharing his name because his story is on our website, so I, I think of it as public. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I first started coming to New Community, like many of you maybe when you first start coming to community, it was very hard for me to meet people and connect to people. Um, I maybe, I'm so, a little socially awkward, but just being overwhelmed by the amount of people in the community, and um, it was very difficult for me to, to feel connected. Um, th- this person, Flacco, um, maybe he met Dave first, I don't remember, but when he realized I was new here and that I didn't know anybody, um, basically just every time he saw me, brought me along to whatever he was doing. You know, we, we went out to eat a lot. He took me to other people's houses that I wasn't even invited to. He, he brought me to his community group. He introduced me to the warming center. And um, he was just a very friendly compassionate guy and he was he's very tall he's in his 50s he has a permanent scowl on his face <laughs> he's very intimidating looking but is is just a very loving kind person um he would volunteer at the warming center a lot and and I was a volunteer at the time after getting him after getting to know him a little better i re- i learned that the reason why he volunteered at the warming center was because he used to come to the warming center as a guest um and that he when he first started coming to the warming center he had just gotten out of prison he was a drug addict he um had a vendetta against the person who got him arrested he was very violent he was affiliated with a gang um and his history of being involved in the warming center and getting connected to our church um, is really what brought him to Christ or brought him back to Christ because he was um, introduced to Christ as a child. But his life completely turned around. He, you know, he, he recovered from his addictions. He learned what forgiveness was, radical forgiveness. Um, 
And he'd been serving and ministering in our church for several years by the time I met him. So he, you know, he's someone I'm still friends with, I still keep in contact with, but it's always kind of perplexed me that the fact that he'd been homeless really had nothing to do with who he was. <laughs> and it didn't temper, you know, um, his ability to even serve in our church and be a huge blessing in my life and Dave's life. Um, well, she took a really good one, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, in the same, I'm in the same situation as Amy. I, we've worked at the warming center for, for many years, so we meet a lot of people. We experience a lot of things. So it's really hard to pick one or two people to talk about. Um, uh, one thing that, that comes to mind, I mean, it's not really like an inspirational story or anything, but it is, um, it is about like just an individual and, and an experience I had with an individual that has definitely shaped me, and, is, and um, it's really sort of recent. I think it's maybe, maybe two or three years ago, um, I was at the warming center kind of sitting there doing my thing at my desk, um, and a woman comes up to me and says, you know, I, I heard I can get, you know, some basic hygiene things like some socks and maybe some underwear and, and some things like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, can, can you give me your name? And, um, you know, I, I was in the middle of doing something else, like I was writing an email or something. I was, wasn't paying a lot of attention. And she just kept staring at me and she goes, wait a minute, are, 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 are you Pam's son? What's, what's your last name? And turns out this woman used to work with my mother. Uh, my mom was a nurse in a nursing home in Chicago for, for many, many years. And uh, when, when, for a short period of time, maybe two or three years, I, um, my mom would take me to work with her when I was a kid. I think I was maybe like seven or eight, um, like, especially like in the summer months. Um, my parents' work schedules just didn't allow um, for, for me to be in childcare or anything. So uh, my mom would take me to work with her. And I guess I would hang out with this woman sometimes when I was, when I was little and my mom took me to work. Um, so here I was, 30 years old now, um, giving underwear to this woman that used to play with me when I was a little kid uh, at my mom's job. And, uh, I mean, I've, 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 I think I've, I've always felt a sense of compassion for, for people who are homeless. I, I think as far back as college, at least, I remember seeing homeless people as, as humans, like the rest of us. But this definitely brought it to a different level. It was, uh, it made, you know, I just really felt like things got very real all of a sudden. Like, th this is somebody that I actually knew. This is somebody that knew me, that knew my mother. Um, and, and I still see her to this day, and she, she, she asked about how my mom's doing. And um, I definitely got gotten past the weirdness of that situation. But just at first, it was, it was just very strange. Um, and it was definitely, I mean, it was just kind of, it woke me up. And uh, I think, especially when I do it day after day, it's very easy to kind of just start getting into a routine of, well, I'm doing things for homeless people, for, for the homeless, for, for this crowd of homeless people who are all the same and all have the same needs and are all the same people. Um, and it kind of, that was, it was a really, really, um, it was a, a stark reminder that, that people are individuals, and that we, we all have stories. Um, and we all experience different things in life. Uh, well, I mean, this is a woman who definitely, she, she, she had a job. Um, she wasn't that much different than my mother. She had the same job as my mom. Um, she probably lived a very similar life to my mom for many years. Um, but now she's homeless, and uh, she's living on the streets, and, and um, she's struggling with addictions and uh, many things like that. Uh, and so that, that's definitely, it's, it's made it very, very real. Uh, made it very real and it definitely encourages me to continue doing what I'm doing. Um, and also, uh, this isn't necessarily an individual. I'm, I'm thinking of an individual. I don't actually remember who it was, but it was kind of more recent within the past couple of weeks. Um, we have a clothing closet that's open on Tuesdays. Lately, we've been very, very crowded. And um, after about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, we run out of most of our clothing items that we give out to our guests um, somebody came in right after we gave out all of our clothes. Like, we were completely out, and it, the weather wasn't so great. I think it was raining or something. Somebody came in, and they definitely needed a change of clothes. The clothes they were wearing was, were very dirty, very smelly, very wet. Um, they said they'd been wearing the same clothes for a week, and they were really in desperate need of clothes. Um, so uh, uh, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, you just missed it. We, we gave out all the clothes that we have, and there, there was nothing I could do about it. Um, at that point, I couldn't run out and buy clothes. It was a full house. Um, so I carried on with what I was doing, tried to kind of 
push that aside from my mind because it made me very sad, but I had, to, I had to carry on. I had a lot of other people to, to help with other things. And at some point I realized that one of our guests who had just gotten clothing from the clothing closet, who had also clearly had been wearing the same clothes for several days, um, definitely needed clothing, didn't have any money, um, gave his clothing to this person that just walked in. And, and I, I pulled that person aside and I was like, you know, I, I really appreciate you doing it. You know, you didn't have to do that. I, I appreciate it. That was really nice of you. He goes, well, you know what? I, I mean, and mind you, this is Tuesday. This is a Tuesday morning. He goes, you know what? I can, just, I can get some clothes from, from Diana on Saturday. I'll just, I'll just wait till Saturday and get some clothes. Um, the reason why I share that is, uh, I mean, that's just, to me, that's an amazing display of generosity that I can't even, I, I can't even comprehend. I mean, you know, I, um, who am I to be stingy with the things that I have, even if it's just my time, um, even if it's just um, being at the warming center and doing that kind of ministry? Um, who am I to be stingy about that and not want to do that and not want to participate in that? Uh, when, when this homeless guy who's been wearing the same clothes for several days gave away the change of clothes that he was just given. Um, uh, I, I see that kind of generosity a lot, actually. This isn't, this isn't an isolated incident. I'm always seeing homeless guys just giving the last of whatever little bit they have, giving it to other homeless guys, um, especially if they know somebody's new to being homeless. Um, they're, they're, like, I, I, I'm just amazed at some of the things I see, some of the generosity and the sacrifice um, even it, from people who are in situations where you couldn't imagine them being able to sacrifice anything. Um, and I think of the ways that sometimes I, I won't sacrifice um, things that I have, even though I have plenty, um, even though I, I have nothing to be afraid of. I, I, I'm not going to give the last of what I have, but I still don't want to sacrifice anything. Um, so just being around that kind of community, like I definitely feel like, even though I, I'm a leader in this ministry and, and a lot of the guys that come to the Warming Center, see me as a leader, I still feel like I'm a part of their community. Um, I mean, even since we've had our child, people are always offering to give us stuff for the baby. Sometimes I take it, sometimes I don't. But the point is, they're, they're, very, they're very gracious and they're very generous and they understand that sometimes I show up to the warming center and I'm out of it because I haven't slept all night because I have a baby. And um, they care about that. They care about me. They care about Amy. Um, and um, it's just that sense of community and, and feeling like like, um, I'm not just taking care of them. They're taking care of each other. Um, they're taking care of me. Um, and, and really, the, even though there sometimes has to be an us and them aspect because of, of, of the ministry that we're doing, um, a lot of times that kind of disappears. Like, it's, it's, I'm part of their community. They're part of my community. Um, uh, we're, it, we're definitely definitely experiencing that a lot these days, having a child. Um, and so that, that definitely is kind of thing that, that, that encourages me and inspires me. My last question for you all is um, whether or not you have another, and I think you've been doing this throughout, do you have another invitation to give to our church? We, we see um, your ministry as our church in ministry, and as I said, there are people in ministry too uh, who aren't on the stage, but is there a, a, an invitation that you would like to extend to our brothers and sisters? Grace, come on back up. Like, can it be a way to act yes. on behalf of these issues? Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> An invitation to act, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. So, I would love it if you would partner with me on what I was talking about earlier with the Millshire Hotel. So, former SRO, I had no idea it even had a connection to the warming center until you were telling me that, like, some of our guys used to stay there. It was not in great condition, but like it was housing of last resort. Bought, well, contracted to a developer in Logan Square who his condition for even contracting it was 30-day eviction notices for everyone living there. So directly based on his actions, like 50 people became homeless in our neighborhood. That's unacceptable. Um, and so there's another social service agency that would actually like to purchase it to talk, turn it into well-managed, supportive housing. So uh, imagine if your guys and ladies, end of the day, can walk around the corner to a safe, warm apartment that is theirs, that has supportive services attached. It would be so fantastic. 
There's two people who can make that happen, and I, I want to give you two telephone numbers right now if you have a pen. Number one is 773-248-1330. I'll say that again. 773-248-1330. And this is our alderman, Scott Waggispack, represents our church building, represents the warming center. Call him and remind, thank him for what he's been doing on this issue on homelessness and ask him to use the full power of his office to help transform the Milshire Hotel into supportive housing. Um, and if you'd like more information, because we're actually uh, going to do something slightly more uncomfortable, which is confront this developer who evicted everyone and ask him to take action that actually helps us become supportive housing, you can call me for more information, and my number is 872-223-6958. Thank you guys so much. Um, so I, th- I think uh, for me, I, I would just like to encourage um, the small groups to um, commit to one of the ministries. Um, so that way, you really get to um, you know, work together as a small group and get to know, um, you know, a, a ministry um, and get to know the people that you're serving um, and get a much better picture of what God is doing, um, you know, for his, for his kingdom. So. I will offer, um, I mean, we, the warming center is open during the week and we, um, we need volunteers all the time. It's very difficult to find enough volunteers because of our hours. Uh, like I said, we're committed to our hours, but it makes it very difficult. We need people to help uh, cook meals and help give out clothing and, and sort uh, clothing donations that come in. We, we definitely we have a great need for volunteers, especially on Tuesdays. Uh, we've been really, really low on volunteers, and we've been getting a lot more guests. We've been serving between 40, 50 people uh, for lunch uh, every day that we're open. Um, and it's a very big crowd to manage uh, when there aren't a lot of volunteers. Um, so I know there are people who have free time from time to time during the day um, on weekdays. So I would really encourage you, even if it's just for a few weeks, if it's just for a month here or there, um, if you have that kind of flexibility or freedom at all, um, uh, I want you to consider volunteering at the Warming Center um, during our operating hours. Um, I would just like to remind you about the pink insert in the bulletin that Pastor Michael went over a little bit earlier today. But every year we do have a big holiday banquet um, that we invite our warming center guests, the individuals they meet on Friday night outreach, um, even turnout from the larger community come. Um, it's a it's a it's a lot of work to put it together, and we need a lot of resources and help from our church, from you guys. Um, there's a list of things on the back that we're specifically needing to put in the gift bags. It does seem like a lot of items, but every year we've been able to get these bags. Last year we, we did make 150 bags, um, but it requires a lot of participation. So I, w- I would challenge everybody here in the room to, to look at what our needs are. Um, there's a list of items specifically for the gift bag on one side. On the other side, um, we are looking for people to volunteer at the banquet. We are looking for people to bring food to the banquet. It is a potluck. All the information is on this pink slip, and we will keep reminding you each week until then. So I would challenge everybody to look at it and see if there's one way at least that um, you can participate, and it, it, you know, it really make the banquet a success like it's been every year. Thank you. And can we thank them, thank them, I see, for their testimony, their leadership. In a moment, we're going to transition, but uh, uh, there's a person who likes to interrupt everything going on. He raised his hand. Yes, Dan. Oh, the warmings, the, the open arms? Ah. 
Thanks, Dan. Uh, the warming center's regular weekly hours are, well, the days, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We are open 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. Those are the times we need people to volunteer regularly. So for finding out outreach, um, it's a little bit confusing. So um, it's the Friday before the uh, More Than Potluck lunch. And the More Than Potluck lunch is every fourth Saturday. Um, and the times are from 8 to 11 p.m. And it's always in the bulletin. That's right. Every fourth Friday of the month, we put it in the bulletin. And it's this coming Friday. Yeah? Yes, this is coming Friday. Yeah. I'm going to ask you all to take your chairs and exit the communion service and worship team to come this way, please, at this time. Thank them one more time, church. Wow.